So uh, will you stand with me in reverence and respect out of the word of the living God as we read this text? It's Philippians chapter 1, verse 26 through 2, verse 4. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. That's the word of the living God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we pray that you will crack open our hearts and the Bible at the same time, and the eternal words that are there that are powerful, empowered by your Holy Spirit, be used to do what the word of God will always do, and that's change us. And Father, we are not interested in our opinions. We're interested in your heart and your mind. And God, I pray you'll disclose your heart and your mind to us and that we'd have the spiritual courage to obey it and the wisdom. And Father, we praise you that we do have your mind. And God, there are things in the Bible we don't fully understand, but we believe them nonetheless because they came from you. And Father, we just worship you and I pray, O oh Lord, that you'll anchor us that you'll till up the soil of our heart, and that, God, you would uh, weed out anything that would impair our hearing this morning and just get us ready so that we hear from you. Not from me, but from you. And uh, give us rhema this morning, Lord. <clears throat> a fresh word, a cathead biscuit from the griddle of glory, Lord, that you'd serve up this morning for us, for the moment, where everybody is right now with you and their walk with you. I pray you'll afflict the comfortable and Comfort the afflicted and uh, do what only you can do as your word goes forth. Thank you for giving it to us and thank you for who it leads us to and none other than our Savior himself. It's living. It's alive. It's not dead. It's not ancient. It's not archaic. It doesn't speak to our time. It's more important, certainly, and more up to date than today's paper. Thank you for giving it to us. In the sweet name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're talking about the communion and we talked about it in verse 27 this issue about conducting ourselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. And you recall that that conduct talks about the conduct of a citizen of a state. Um, that uh, as citizens of heaven, there's a certain way should, we should act as a result of our the fact that we're no longer, we're just pilgrims and sojourners on this earth, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we talked about the fact that picking up on our theme and looking through the book of Philippians, the whole time we've been looking through, we've gone, we're looking at it and viewing it from the lens of the first five verses that summarize the fact that we're partners in the gospel, that you are our partners in the gospel. It's a wonderful, sweet thought to know that. It's a sweet thought to know that when the foxes go to Haiti, we're partners with them. It's sweet to know that as Bruce is over in Kenya and he gives us these messages about what he's doing over there and how God's moving and working, what God's doing over there, that we're partners. 
and that we get to participate in prayer, as Pastor Dave talked about this morning primarily, and then the fellowship that we have as we share the word together and the encouragement that we hear as God is doing things through your life like we heard this morning during our testimony time to edify one another and encourage one another to build the body up so that we can leave here and do and be what we've called to be and that's the gospel partners in the gospel and we all have a stake in this and we're all in it together isn't that a wonderful thing to know that we're not out there floundering around somewhere alone discouraged and on unto ourselves but God's put us together as the community of God and these things that we have in common we talked about that we have one spirit that the Holy Spirit lives in every believer we talked about time and again, but it's worth constantly reminding ourselves that there's one indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but there are many fillings. As soon as a believer repents toward God, a person repents toward God, puts their faith in Jesus, they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But in the spiritual journey, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we're being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And that means to be controlled by. And then we stand fast in the fact that we have one mind. There'll be, there'll be as many agendas in a church as there are people if we're not united around the mind of Christ. Opinions about this and that and the other thing, and this ought to be done that way and this ought to be done that way and so on and so forth. And conflict in churches emerges from such things. If we can't come together and believe that this is the finer arbiter of all the life and witness of the church and the Bible, if we can't agree there, we'll have agreement nowhere else. We can't. You and I are different. We come from different backgrounds and different perspectives, but we have one mind when we're operating in the Spirit. It's the mind of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. What a big deal. I'm not to think and process things through my own mind anymore. I have His mind. And i tell you another thing that unites us based on this text, this communion that we have, and that's suffering. And the Bible says in, um, in verse 29, like we talked about, it's been to you, it's been granted, it's been graced, favor, from God. God has given you favor that as a partner in the gospel to suffer on his behalf. We don't often view it as favor. Seldom view it as favor. And we talked about last week and we laid two texts next to each other. And if you weren't here, I'd love to get you a copy of that. But it's two texts where Paul in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 talks about all that he went through and all the difficulty he went through in his ministry. Shipwreck, in peril from Christians and believers and uh, those in, within the church even. Deckedness, flogging, uh, constantly threat of his life, sickness, sleeplessness, and all the things he went through. And we laid that text beside Romans chapter 8 and we said, here's what he learned from it. I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that nothing, and he lists all those peril and sword and all those things, will be able to separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus. So on the left-hand side of the margin, we talked about all the suffering he went through. And on the right side of the margin, we talked about everything he learned through it. Amen? And there's only one way to learn it. I can hear it from you. and I can, But I don't, I'm telling you, I love you and respect you, but I don't want to know God through your experience. I want to know him through mine. Now, I'll benefit from your experience, and I celebrate that, and I'm encouraged, and you're encouraged by mine, but I can hear it tell you. I'm stingy about that. I want to know him. I don't want to know about him. Amen? As a matter of fact, most of the people that you'll come in contact with this week probably know about Jesus, but do not know Jesus. And there is an eternal difference between the two. Okay? So that we're united in our suffering, and then Paul moves on, and it's unfortunate, really, that there's a break, such a, an abrupt break, 
uh, in chapters here, because I know that therefore seems like it might be a shift in thought, but what he's saying is, pick it up on what I just said. The fact that we have one spirit, we have one mind, and we're united together, that every one of us are going to suffer if we're partners. This, this book wasn't written to believers on parade. This wasn't, this wasn't written to believers who are in their dress blues, just marching in the pomp and circumstance of life. This was written for believers who got their fatigues on, and they're in the middle of the battle. That's who this book was written for. And so if you've got your fatigue zone, you can identify with this. If you don't and you're on parade, you're missing him altogether. And I enjoin you right now to repent today and get in the game. But it says here, because we have one mind and one spirit and we're going to suffer, here's how to handle the suffering. And there's two ways I want you to look at this text. One is what happens internally, and the other is as a result of what happens internally, what happens externally. Okay, internally and then as a result of what happened internally, what happens externally. Can I say this to you? I'm going to share this with you. Don't, don't feel your way into a new way of believing. You need to believe your way into a new way of feeling. Let me say that again. Don't feel your way into a new way of believing. You need to believe your way into a new way of feeling. Don't let your feelings drive your Christian faith because they will derail you. Your emotions are not trustworthy, but the Word of God is. We've said it time and again in here, and I know that y'all probably say, here goes Brother Lindsay again. When your feelings don't line up with the truth, go with the, go with the truth. And what he's saying here is, is when you go through suffering, I want to tell you, here's how you victoriously go through suffering. Here it is right here. This is it right here. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, this is internal. If there is any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Now, belief precedes change. Belief precedes change, not the other way around. You don't get your act together and then believe Jesus Christ for it. You come to Him as you are and you believe Him and your belief is what evokes to change. Okay, so what He's saying is this. Here's the deal. You go through suffering and you want to hang in there. If you want to patiently endure and persevere through suffering, if you want to know the victory that is yours, because we talked about it before and we talked about it last week and I'm going to emphasize it again. Everyone is the beneficiary of God's love. Upon salvation, you become the recipient of God's love. But when you patiently endure through suffering, you begin to understand God's love. Alright, now when you begin to understand God's love and He begins to teach you the things that Paul learned in the crucible of life, there better be some things that you're convinced of that anchor you or you will not persevere. Now what the Apostle Paul, and let's, let's do this in today's language. Here's, he's, here's what he's essentially saying. When you suffer as a result of being in the middle of God's will, not outside it, you're a partner in the gospel, you're a believer, not on parade, but you've got your fatigue zone, you're engaged in the warfare, and you're a part of it, you're in there, you've not retreated from this world, and you're held up in a corner somewhere going, good gracious alive, let's just hang on until the age is over with. No! No, sir. The Bible says that... Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the world. My joy is in you and I give you my joy and you need to be full of joy because I have overcome the world. 
We're not caught up in together, us four and no more, in some corner somewhere saying we're going to endure until everybody goes to hell and we get to go to heaven. We're supposed to be salt and light where we are. The church is on the offensive, not the defensive. Scripture knows of no such church that's on the defensive all the time. We're on the offensive. We're moving out. We're on a victorious team. Hallelujah. Until He comes back. He says this, if you're going to patiently endure, here's some things you need to understand. This, I'm, let's do it in up-to-date language. There is consolation in Christ. There is comfort in His love. There's fellowship in His Spirit. There's affection and mercy from Him. And if you begin to understand and realize that, that will sustain you in the middle of your suffering. That's what that means. Now that's internal. There's a consolation in Christ. There's consolation in Christ. Now, some of you might have uh, an asterisk in the margin of your Bible and have written in the middle of your Bible um, another word inserted, a potential word inserted, or maybe you have it outright in your translation for a word consolation. It means it can also mean encouragement. Encouragement. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Does he speak sweet somethings into your ear? You know, when people are in love, and I remember the love letters I used to write Jill. She was away from God. She'd moved off and in rebellion against God and was in Fort Worth, Texas, didn't know she was supposed to marry me. And, um, and God finally put her under the conviction. And I remember that, you know, just the, the, the engagement of the letters that you write back and forth. And when I get a letter from her, and I've said this before, I go tear into the, uh, into the, into the mailbox and grab over that letter and read that thing from cover to cover and have it practically memorized. Far more important. Far more important than that. God's written a letter to you. You know what? And He delivers it to you every day. And I'm telling you, just as surely as you would not ignore or neglect, I don't think, a letter from a loved one that was far off somewhere and somebody you really cared about, we habitually neglect this. The encouragement that He's talking about is from the Word of God. We soak ourselves in it. We get to know His heart and His mind. He begins to tell us things about what He's doing. The Bible says, and we've quoted this verse time and again, but it says the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. But to the man who walks uprightly, He gives His secret counsel. The Bible says that, did you know, did you know this? The Bible says that for the man who fears God, God confides in him. Watch that. I confide in God all the time. Don't you? Don't you Don't you get in front of the Lord and confide in Him? Just draw up a chair, Lord. Let me tell you all about it. I want you to know. You know and, and, I'm, and, I, and we're telling things that we would tell nobody else. That's great! But you ever thought about God confiding in you? That's what the Bible says. A man who fears God, God will confide in him. He'll draw up a chair and say, Buddy, let me show you something. Let me show you what I'm doing. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I used to keep it on the ink blotter. Next to my, next right next to my phone when I was in our previous church, until I finally got it memorized, and I'll probably mess it up a little bit, but it says this: Remember the word you have spoken unto your servant, upon which you've caused me to hope. It has been my comfort in my affliction, because your word has given me life. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of pain and difficulty, if you draw from this well, God will give you encouragement. He said, "There's encouragement." 
There's consolation in Christ. There's comfort in His love. Let me ask you a question. The people that you're most comfortable around in your life are the people you know love you. Is that not true? Even to a certain extent at church, we've got to put on a little bit of a something. Now, I assume and, I, and, and that we love one another in here. We sure should. If we don't, it's evidence of the fact that we don't know God. It's just that simple, isn't it? Jesus said that. Well, if you say you love me and you don't love your brother, you are a, a liar. But there's just a little bit of uncomfortableness. We know some better in here than others, and we're getting to know each other better. But there's not, there's not the kind of comfort that you would have when you're around your spouse, or maybe you're, I'm talking about with others in the, within the fellowship, but we're, we're hopefully headed there. But there's comfort, there's a rest, there is enablement, there is a, 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 a solace that comes when you're around somebody you know loves you. And Jesus said, you know what? You can patiently endure through suffering if you remember this. I love you. I flat love you. The Bible says God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's not a love that He just talks about. It did what love always does. He acted upon it and He demonstrated it. He wrote the checks and cashed them at Calvary. And Calvary is a supreme exclamation point on the timeline of eternity that said God loves His own. Hallelujah. Amen. So if there's encouragement in Christ, if He speaks sweet somethings into your ear, if there's an internal love that you have received and you begin to grow in your understanding of it, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, fellowship, koinonia, communion, the kind, of, the kind of fellowship that goes on when we have our fellowship time here, and we're just all hanging around, it's the sharing of things in common is what it means. Isn't it wonderful to be around people? When you're able to, and we get together in the body of Christ, and throughout the whole week, it's a privilege to be around lost people. We want to be around lost people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to retreat from people who say they're saved and don't act like it, and be around lost people. Did you know that? But you know what? When you have fellowship, you know, and the, and, and you have, and there's a like-mindedness. You begin to share, and you can sit down and talk to somebody about the scriptures and about your faith, and you know they're not going to look at you like a cow looking at a new gate. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be like, you know, man, that blessed me. I can identify with that. The Lord showed me this this week. Here's what happened. Spencer will call and he'll say, Pastor Lindsay, this is what God showed me, and he'll share some scripture, and it'll wind up building me up and edifying me. I said, well, he might have told you that, but he think he used you to tell me. And not have to, not have to get up to speed, to have fellowship. And, and I enjoy fellowship with you guys in here. This is a wonderful thing. The fellowship accomplished, made possible, sustained by, originated by, carried out by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Amen? You imagine the things that the world does to have fellowship? The Moose Club? Kiwanis? What do you think that all is for? It's not just a frolic. It's because they want to be around like-minded people that they can kind of just let their be, just be, and not have any pretense, and just be, and be around common people. And son, I'm telling you right now, we're to have the market on that. 
We are to corner that market because our fellowship is surrounded by the eternal one. Their fellowship is surrounded by things that bind you. Our fellowship is surrounded by the one who will set you free. Amen? So there's encouragement in Christ. There's comfort in love. There's fellowship of the Spirit. There's affection and mercy. Did you know that throughout the Bible, God talks about us in affectionate terms? You read the writings of Paul, and this is not Paul, it's the Holy Spirit within him, but you read the writings of Paul and the affection he expresses through those writings toward the churches. And you get some sense of the way God views his people. He's in the habit of using the family metaphors to describe our relationship with him. We talked about this just then, Bruce and I. What are we? The bride of Christ, Jacob. We're married to Jesus. He has an affection toward us. He's jealous of us when we get involved with other lovers. The Bible calls us in James chapter 4 because of our affection for this world. And the more affection you have for this world, the less affection you're going to have for Christ. And He calls us adulterers and adulteresses. We might take this relationship lightly, but He doesn't. We might be coy about it or apathetic about it, but He's not. He purchased it at Calvary. It's not that we, He needs us, but it is very much that we need Him. Don't you love those songs we sang this morning? He's my portion, my shelter, my deliverer. I love songs like that. Every, every, bit of, every line of that came from Scripture. Every line of it. Who is your portion? Like we talked about, for me to live is what? i got a working definition of idolatry I believe the Lord gave me. And I'm going to share it with you. This internal work, there's encouragement in Christ, there's comfort in His love, there's fellowship in the Spirit, there's affection, and certainly there's mercy. Aren't you grateful that God's mercy endures forever? What if it didn't? Ten billion years into heaven, and God goes, Oops! My mercy just gave out. Every last one of you are going to be in hell. No, it says it endures forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Aren't you grateful for that? You want justice or you want mercy? Count me in on mercy. Like we've talked about. For the repentant, it's all mercy. For the unrepentant, it's all justice. Take your pick. It should be like-minded. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. How are you like-minded? By patiently enduring in suffering as a result of your partnership in the gospel, you will find this about Jesus if you're looking toward Him. That He is encouraging. He has comfort in His love. There's comfort He will give you in His love. There's fellowship in the Spirit. And there's affection and mercy. And as a result of that, you can walk in the joy that I will have over you if you have that joy. And if you begin to understand that, you begin to understand the love of God, this internal work, it will manifest itself in some beautiful external things. And here they are. We'll have the same love. We'll be of one mind. We'll be of one accord. We will not do anything through selfish ambition or conceit. But in loneliness of mind, we will esteem others as better than ourselves. We will look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let me ask you a question. Would you like to be in a club like that? Count me in. I'd like to be in a club like that. That should be the M.O. of the body of Christ right there. These are partners who patiently endure through suffering, draw from the strength they receive in Christ. They're not idolatrous. Let me tell you what idolatry is. This is my working definition of it. I want you to, say, I want you to listen to this. Anything 
relationship or state of being, the lack of which keeps me from singing now. Anything, that could be a thing, a thing, or a relationship that I covet and don't yet have, or maybe I have and covet, and it sustains me other than Christ, or a state of being, a place that I need to one day be that I'm not now, the lack of which keeps me from singing now. Whatever that is, is idolatry. Don't wait to sing. That's what that song was just then. That's why I told you it fit like a glove. Don't wait to sing. If you know Jesus, you can sing right now. Oh, if I just get married one day, or if Mr. Wright, or Mr. whatever, whatever comes along, or if I just have this much money, or if I'm just at this place with my personal financial statement, or if my kids will just do this, and if they'll do that one day, I'll praise God. Whatever keeps you from praising Him now, if one of those things keeps you from praising Him now, that's idolatry. You could praise Him right now. Praise Him not because of, but sometimes praise Him in spite of. And the reason you can do that is because there is comfort in Him, there's fellowship in Him, there's love, there's fellowship in the Spirit, there's affection, and there's mercy to be found in Christ. And if you find it in Him, you will find out that He is more than enough. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. Another definition of adultery is this. Anything, relationship, or state of being that is the basis for my song. So it either be one of the one of the two. Either I lacked something or some relationship or some status in life, and the lack of it, of which keeps me from singing now. Or I possess that thing, or I possess that relationship, or I possess that state of being. We are currently there. Our net worth is currently. And that's the basis for my song. Either one of those is idolatry. When we find out our all in Christ, and we find out, and it is true, it is true, it's not cliche, it's true. When you do get to the point where Jesus Christ is all you have, you will then discover that Jesus Christ is all you need. When that internal work comes out, the internal work of receiving consolation or encouragement in Christ, the comfort that's found in His love, the fellowship that's found in His Spirit, the affection and the mercy evokes joy, and that joy leads to some external manifestations. Those are the internal. Here's the external. Externally, if internally, if that's going on, externally, we will be one accord. We will be in one of mind. We will not be doing anything through selfish ambition or conceit. We will, in lowliness of mind, each um, esteem others better than themselves. We will look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. We will be united. We will be a force for the enemy to contend with because we have gathered around and we are wholly consecrated to Jesus Christ. And His purposes are not our own. Loneliness of mind is unattracted to this world. As a matter of fact, the Greeks, during that time, they would have seen that as a character flaw. Loneliness of mind? <laughs> you need to be self-actualized. You need to somehow or another go up the ladder of Maslow's need hierarchy and come to a place of self-esteem and self-love. 
so that you can be fully actualized and, and be whole and complete. That's all nothing but a counterfeit to the wholeness that comes in knowing Jesus Christ. It wasn't a virtue, but in Christian circles it is a virtue. To regard someone as being better than you. It doesn't mean that they're better than you. Can I say this to you? Think about this for just a minute. If I consider you above me and you consider me above you, a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everybody's looked up to and no one is looked down upon. Think about that for a minute. If I consider you to be, if I look up to you and you look up to me, we are in a community where no one is looked down upon. Isn't that a great thing? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Can I tell you this too? Can I share this with you? When we look at someone else, here's how we need to view them in the body of Christ. We need to realize that at their stage of their Christian walk, they're probably more faithful to what they know than I am to what I know where I am. Now, I wonder if we started doing that, how our disposition would change toward one another. And spiritual snobbery would go out the window. The Bible says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The Bible says that though the Lord dwell on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the prideful man He knows from afar. Human pride and Jesus do not mix. They are mutually exclusive. So if we look at someone else, we need to realize that at their stage of Christian life, wherever they are, and whatever assumptions you and I might make about that, they're probably more faithful to what they know about Jesus than I am to have my faithfulness to what I know about Him. I can tell you this. Not that I don't want to learn more. Not that I don't want to learn more. Don't take this this way. Because <laughs> i got a lot to learn. But I'm here to tell you, I have a hard time living out what I already know. Can any of y'all say that? Amen. What if we had that kind of humility? What if everybody in the body of Christ was looked up to and there was no one left to look down on? What if we had... And, and, and you know what? Every bit of that, not a one of us, on your best day, you can't do that. You will preserve self-interest. You are conceited. You are selfish to the core. You are a narcissist apart from Jesus Christ. And so am I. You think for one minute when we were in that man's hut, and that polygamist in Kenya, and we were weeping over those Kenyans, do you think that, that was from us? I couldn't have cared less on my own whether or not that guy ever went to heaven or hell. It was the Jesus who lived within me that was brokenhearted over him. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. We're capable of nothing, but through Him, we're capable of having a church like that. But that's the key. It's got to start with Him. It's got to tar start with developing that personal relationship with Him. Here's what happens. In your relationships, wherever you're driving somebody else crazy, wherever you're a, 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 a menace maybe to somebody else, or where, where, the, where there's pockets of contention, you know, what, you know what you're essentially doing? You're demanding out of them things you ought to be getting from Jesus. And when you get them from Jesus, you won't ask them for that anymore. That's why we don't love people. 
like we should. Because we're afraid if we take the risk, we might not get it back. I'm glad Jesus wasn't like that. Because he took the risk, buddy, and he hadn't got it back very much. But he took it. But you know what? When you know who you are in Jesus, you won't view it to be a risk anymore. And the Christian life won't be about what you can get from it. The Christian life will be about what you can give to it. Can we pray this over our church, our fellowship? Can we pray this over the body of Christ? Here we are. I was reading yesterday, and I'll close with this. On Fox News, the headline on their, their, on their website, the defense minister of Israel, they did an interview with him, and he was talking about the nervousness they have over what's going on around them. You know what's going on around them? Their enemies are surrounding them. Their enemies are surrounding them. And Jesus said that would happen. It's going to happen. And they're going to be attacked all around. And they're nervous about it. And they don't even embrace the New Testament that we do. Time is short. It's ticking away. And we don't have time arguing about the color of the carpet. We don't have carpet. Praise God. But if we did, we'd argue about it. Or, who, or this, that, or the other thing. Let's put aside that. Let's put aside low living. Because there's a high cost to low living. But I can tell you this right now. Let's, let's, put, let's esteem others as being better than ourselves. Let's don't look out for our own interests, but let's look out for the, not only for our own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Let's don't be conceited or prideful. Let's in humility regard each other as being better than themselves. Don't look down on another Christian who's struggling. Look at them and say, they're probably more faithful to where they are than I am to where I am. So God, why don't you worry about me and let me quit worrying about you. How is that possible? Because of the internal things that you should be drawn upon in your relationship with Jesus. The consolation, the encouragement, the comfort of love, the affection and the mercy. You get that? Oswald Chambers said this. If you draw from the love of Christ, the eternal transcendent heavenly love from Christ, you will quit making demands of earthly loves. It will be about what you can give and not about what you can take. That's possible. If it wasn't, he wouldn't have put it in the Bible. And if Jesus is in control, it's inevitable. Amen?